what we refer to as the mission. And it's on. It's on. The mission, as Jesus laid it out for us, is that we are to be involved in the process of life, not just living our life, but also giving life to others. That God has called us to a mission that's greater than simply living everyday situations and working and going through life as it's provided for us. So we have an opportunity to be involved in the mission of God. We have the opportunity to give life to people who did not have life prior to this time. We have the chance to help people come to an understanding that God not only exists, but that he rewards those who seek him. That he is involved in gathering his people in so they might come to know who he is and how he can work in their life. We refer to that as salvation. So people can respond to who Jesus is and what he has done. And we're not simply called to do that to people right around here. We're also to go into all the world is a directive for us. Going into all the world. So we went into a world close by, went over to Mexico, different language. And Don was here. He just went yesterday and they had quite a group. How many people did you have to go with you, Don? Well, we had uh, a group of uh, 12 people that went with us to Mexico. Okay. And, you know, the theme for this year for Lighthouse is on fire. Yep. And I'm going to tell you something. Every one of my team was on fire yesterday. <laughs> it was absolutely awesome. And um, we showed the uh, Jesus film in Spanish and um, at this little church in Tijuana. And the pastor's name is uh, uh, Cuco. Cool. And, uh, yeah. And uh, he, uh, after we showed the movie, we played with the kids a little bit and then went to a rehabilitation center. And we never expected um, what we, uh, the experience we had there. Um, the, the rehabilitation centers for real um, extreme alcoholics and drug, drug addicts. As opposed well to just your basic really, drug addict and They basic were really bad. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> the team. Um, the, the I guys threw them off. I know it. I threw them off there. The, the guys that are at the center ha- hadn't heard the word God in their life, and they didn't know God at all up until about four months ago. Yep. And Kuko went up, and he was became just kept going there every day, every day, and and sharing the word and. Our team was the first team to actually go into this rehabilitation center for the first time yesterday, hmm. and uh, which was absolutely amazing because there were 50 um, guys there, and uh, each one of the team went up and shared a little bit of their testimony, which was really powerful. I mean, we really felt the Holy Spirit there yesterday, and it was absolutely awesome. And what started happening was each one of these guys started getting up and coming up onto stage and sharing their testimony. And it was just absolutely amazing. So Good stuff. Thank you. So, so, so you got a chance to lead some people to, uh, into a prayer with Christ to respond to it? Yes, we uh, actually led a whole bunch of guys into prayer yesterday and, you know, accepted the Lord into their life. And um, so yeah. um, we want to plan another trip real soon. So hey, let's, let's pray for that right now. Um, right? Can, uh, I just wanted to, can I bring up David, David Stack quickly? David, get up here. Yeah. He was supposed to come up to begin with. Yeah. Yeah, that's right, buddy. Right here. Hey, take it. Not the wrong guy. That's good. You got it. 
Yeah, Don just mentioned this morning to come up and talk a little bit. Lee mentioned the mission. I'm an example of the mission. I think everybody in here can share that. Um, but boy, to be able to be in the position of beginning my own transformation with Christ and being able to, you know, be, be in this walk right now that I'm in, it came at a perfect time because I could share me with these men in this room. And I stood in front of a group of men, and he's putting it lightly. These were not just drug offenders. These were violent offenders. These men had been to the darkest of the darkest, and we've all seen it, you know. And, and I had a path that was leading me, you know, going down the dark side. And, and without this place, this man, and obviously this man up here, yes. I mean, it's just – so to be able to share that with these gentlemen was amazing. And the connection it made, can't tell you enough. I love all you guys for being my family. I love you. And I was so proud and so blessed to be able to share it with just a bunch of men who their lives have been changed by what Don led yesterday. Great stuff. Great stuff. Damn. Wow. I love you too, dude. I do that. Hey, wasn't that great? My goodness. Hey, let's pray. Father, thank you for all those involved because... As we're in the process of making disciples, we discover ourselves that we are your disciple. It's as we go that we find you in the midst of all these things and watch you changing lives and making a difference. What a wonderful thing it is to experience the wonder of God within us. So today, Father, we ask that you'll speak to us clearly and help us to be involved in the mission that you've called us to. Help us understand it and then help us to speak clearly. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, today we're in Matthew 28. Matthew 28. We're going we're gonna, to, in just a minute here, quote verses 18 through 20 together. But Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is often referred to as the Great Commission. And the reason it's called the Great Commission is because it's, it's a specific direction, a mission given to us by Jesus himself. And it's given to us following his resurrection, after he had been involved with the uh, apostles and some 120 total. That's what's left, by the way. There's only about 120 people that are following Jesus. They're involved closely enough to understand who he is and what's taking place. And Jesus has been speaking to them for the last 40 days. For the last 40 days, he's been sharing with them. He's been teaching about who he is, been teaching about life and purpose and understanding. And now he stops everything and he gives his final directive to them before he gets ready to leave and go into heaven. And he says, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, you are to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. So this is the directive that Jesus lays out here. Then he turns to Peter and some of the others and tells them, Now, I need you to wait. And it's going to be difficult for you, but I need you to wait. And there'll come a point in time while you're in Jerusalem, that's where I want you to wait, when the Holy Spirit will so clearly fall upon you that everyone will know it's time. So Peter... I'm sure he turned to Peter. Peter, wait. Wait. The time will come. You'll know when it's time. Jesus then caught up into heaven. And it's the last time that the apostles will see him. 
He will appear one more time, specifically, to Paul when he calls him into the apostolic ministry. But this will be the last time that the apostles will physically interact with Jesus while he is here on earth. His final directive, his final call to each of them is you are to go and make disciples. Now I want you to understand that this term make disciples, it's not like making cupcakes, all right? That's not what he's trying to say. He's not saying go and make this. He is saying, he's saying go and guide people to an understanding of who I am that they might become a disciple of mine. And a disciple is simply another word for a follower, someone who literally follows Jesus. In fact, some of the early Christians would be called little Christ. That's the term that will be used in little Christ, from which we have derived the term Christian. Little Christ, it was a derogatory term. It meant you guys are like Jesus freaks, is what they called me when I, when I became a Christian back in the 70s. I gave my life to Christ, and so I was kind of long-haired hippie type. And no, don't look that way like you can't imagine that. It's, it's <laughs> and so I, I had the, the thing going, and I was sharing how Jesus had changed my life, and pretty soon people were calling me, oh, he's a Jesus freak. And that derogatory term was the same term applied to some of the early Christians in the book of Acts, and they called them little Christs or Christians. And Jesus said, what I want you to do is I want you to go into all the world and help them to understand who I am, what I have done, and how to live life that they might also become followers of mine and believers in what I have done. Now, I want you to understand something. Remember, we've been walking all the way. We went from Genesis, and we walked all the way through, and we found ourselves over into the Gospels, and that the declaration from Genesis to the Gospels was that Jesus is coming, then it was Jesus is here, and then it was Jesus is risen. And those are the three statements that are clearly proclaimed throughout this period of time. God is laying out all these prophetic declarations concerning the coming of Christ, the way and specifically he will come, how you'll identify who he is. Now that he's here, the power and miracles he would display to show that he is God himself. He had the ability to do all the things that only God could do. And that's his declaration. Then he says, now, as I give my life for you, and he chooses to die on a cross so that we might have the opportunity and the ability to have our sins forgiven, our consciences cleansed, our guilt removed, if we respond to who he is and what he has done, then we can begin to live life with him, with the power of his Holy Spirit within us, and with a relationship with God, proclaiming each one of you and myself as one of his children, but now literally born again children. And that's what we talked about last week, was this issue of being born again, that God calls us into his kingdom and we become born again children. We become part of this brand new kingdom that we are now to begin to live out. The way you live out this new kingdom is by making disciples. The kingdom of God is here and we experience the kingdom of God when we're involved in the process of making disciples. Disciples, because that process consists of both proclaiming who Jesus is, what he has done, and persuading people in relationship to that truth by acting out that truth in my life, what we've referred to as smultification. Okay, so I begin to be changed, and as I am changed, I show other people. You heard David; he walked up here and he said, "God has changed my life," and he says. 
I, I so appreciate those who were involved in it, Pastor Lee, you know, other people involved in it. But you see, it was Jesus who changed his lives. And we're called to lead people to him so that he can bring about that multiplication, that change in their life. And when they experience that, everything is changed. Hope is restored. Joy is renewed. Peace comes into our life. We find ourselves going, ah, this is so incredible. I've missed this for so long. And many of us that now are walking with, with Christ and we're reading the word regularly so we're involved in understanding truth. It's become a part of our life and we're loving and caring and being involved in all these things and we've gotten kind of used to it. It's become like breathing to us. It's just air. And the reason that's happened for many of you is because you're not involved in making disciples. You're just involved in being a disciple. Interesting enough, Jesus did not direct us to be a disciple. He directs us in this particular case to make disciples. That doesn't mean you don't need to be a disciple. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I am saying is that the process of being a disciple is through making disciples. That's a key element that must be a part of who we are or we begin to lose our identity that God desires for us to have. Now remember, this, this, is a, this is a difficult thing for, the, for these uh, apostles. They were expecting once again, you know we've walked through all these studies, they were expecting once again for Jesus to say, okay, now you've come back from the dead, boom, now let's take it over. You showed them, it's done, now let's go. Set up your kingdom, you rose from the dead, let's make it happen. And Jesus says, nah, that's not the plan. I go, what do you mean it's not the plan? Actually, here's the plan. I'm going to go back into heaven. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit here. He's going to reside in you, and you're going to bring all the peoples of the earth. In fact, some 2,000 years from now, there'll be well over a billion people who will know me as, as Christ. And Peter's thinking, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. How is that going to work? And Jesus said, this is how it's going to work. Right now, you're defenseless. Right now, you're dependent on me. But I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, who's going to not just reside within you, but who's going to empower you to be my witnesses. And you're going to find yourself so incredibly changed that you will tell all the people about who I am. You see, the mission that God has given to us is simple, but it's not easy. And the mission is to what? Make disciples. That's the mission. To bring people to the place where they can follow Christ. And it starts off, as you are going, you're to be involved in baptizing and in teaching. Do we have that Matthew 20:18? Do we have that uh, typed in? Let's read this together. In fact, let's all stand and read this, because it's very important that you get a handle on this. This is such a... Uh, a primary verse that we need to grab a hold of as followers of Christ. So read it with me. Here we go. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all I have commanded you, and surely 
I am with you always to the very end of the age. Father, speak your word to our hearts. Change us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. There are two acts, and I mentioned earlier, of proclamation and persuasion that we're being involved in, in this aspect of going into all the world and making disciples. So in Acts chapter 1, and if you want to kind of follow along, you could turn to Acts chapter 1, and that'll help you understand a bit of what's taking place here. Now remember, the Gospels are all written as a history, declaring to us who Jesus was, how he lived, how he walked, what his directives to us were. And now we move into the book of Acts, which is also called Acts of the Church. So the book of Acts is written by Luke, and Luke begins to lay out to us a history of what happened following Jesus' resurrection. So Acts chapter 1, we have a directive given to us here by Jesus to the apostles. He says, I need you to wait. Okay, well, so you're in Acts chapter 1, you're, gonna, you're just going to see this as we walk along. He says, I need you to wait into Jerusalem until I send you the Holy Spirit. So Acts 1.8 says, Acts 1.8 says, then you will receive power. You will receive power from the Holy Spirit and you will become my witnesses to the entire world. So now I begin to see that this directive he's given, this authority that he's laid back upon us to tell people about who Jesus is and what he can do in their life and to change us comes with it the empowering substance, the empowering person referred to as the Holy Spirit. Now, interesting enough, it will be nine days that they'll have to wait until the Holy Spirit is sent. Now, some of you are going to say, how do I know it was nine days? Because it says on the day of what? Pentecost. The day of Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks. A special feast that took place exactly 50 days after Passover. It took place 50 days after Passover. So we begin to understand, oh, okay, Jesus is with them for 40 days. So now about nine days after he leaves, we find them in what we refer to as the upper room in Jerusalem, waiting, waiting, waiting. And God suddenly shows up in a powerful way. It tells us that on the day of Pentecost, suddenly, fire, tongues of fire, began to reside upon the heads of each one of these people, these 120 or perhaps just the 12 apostles. We're not sure which one. It doesn't define it. But that this power is so strong and so loud that the people from the entire area hears this sound like jet engines flowing powerful thunder, immense sound comes and each one of these people find themselves overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit and people that look upon them say it looks like there are flames upon each one of their heads. And then they all begin to speak and it says they begin to speak in a variety of other languages that these people who were here for the Feast of Weeks or what's called Pentecost were Jewish people who had come together because God had directed that this had to take place 50 days after Passover. They would come together for this Feast of Weeks or Pentecost and they would declare their allegiance and commitment to Christ, not to Christ, but allegiance and commitment to the Old Testament and to Jewish uh, understanding. So they've all showed up. They see this incredible sound. They find themselves showing up. About 10,000 people show up. 
It's in Jerusalem. About 10,000 people show up, and they're gathered around this particular area where the apostles have been waiting. And it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, stands up, and he begins to proclaim and persuade. He begins to proclaim who Jesus is and what he has done, and then he persuades them to respond to that truth of who he is. It's interesting that this first persuasion is in relationship to the authority of Jesus, as all authority is given to me, in relationship to forgiveness of sins. So, we had discovered earlier that Jesus had the power to forgive sins. Now, he has the authority to forgive sins. There's a little bit of difference in there. I won't go into it too much today. But the point is that now the Father has given him total authority to forgive the sins of anyone who responds to who he is and what he has done in life. So he is directing us to begin to learn how to walk by faith. This first aspect of proclaiming who Jesus is is proclaiming that I have been forgiven and you can be forgiven as well. So that's the first thing that always must come forth when we talk about who Jesus is. I have been forgiven, and you also can be forgiven by his authority. He can come in there and do this. Secondly, the second aspect when we talked about this process of proclamation is that in the persuasion aspect, he has the authority now to provide us with truth. Jesus has the authority to provide us with truth. In fact, this is his statement. The last one he makes, even before he's crucified, he says this. In fact, for this reason I came into the world to testify to truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. So we begin to understand that Peter's going to teach them not only did Jesus die for them so that they could have life, but he would give them direction in terms of how to live life so they could actually live with purpose and understanding. So he begins to direct us to true truth so we can, as I would put it, live life truly. And the process by which we are called to show and share that truth is to actually show that it's changed us. I'm going to get into that in a few minutes when we move into the next section uh, where the Lord speaks to us today. So first and foremost, we're to choose to be involved in making disciples for Jesus. Oftentimes people ask me, Pastor, is it okay if I don't share with people my faith and my walk with Christ? And my answer to that is what? No, it's a bad idea. Is God mad at you for that? No, he's not mad at you. He's irritated. (laughs) When I became a Christian, I was in the service. And there was a young man who I shared with on a regular basis. He was a nice guy. And don't take this wrong, but I literally showered with him. We had multiple showers. So that's how much interaction there was. And we'd talk in the shower, etc., all these times. After I gave my life to Christ, I walked into the barracks and I was talking with him about who Jesus was. And he says, I'm a Christian too. Now, what do you think my response was at that point? Exactly. In fact, I did it rather forcefully. I was a new Christian. It's okay. I was so upset. I was angry. I said, why? I'm not going to use all the words I use because I'm a new Christian. Just, Did you not tell me about Jesus? And you know what he said? I didn't think you wanted to know. 
he was right. But that didn't mean he didn't need to tell me. God is saying we're called to make disciples. And the process by which we do that is to allow people to hear the word of God so that the Holy Spirit can begin to work in their life. And that's what happened to me. And it took a young lady from Campus Crusade to go down to a bar to talk to me when he could have done it in the barracks right there. And he chose not to. God had provided an opportunity and he didn't take it. And I guarantee you it would have worked just as well there as it did work for me at a different situation in a different spot. God has directed us. We must go and make disciples to help people understand that salvation is not a ticket to heaven. It's an adoption process. Uh, there was recently on in Facebook a young man who got up and he said, please would somebody adopt me, went all over Facebook. I just need somebody to adopt me. And number of people jumped in the middle of it and he was adopted. The cry here is God is saying, I want to adopt you into my family. And that's the process that begins to happen to us. And he says, and I want you to go out and get more brothers and sisters. I want you to bring them in. I want you to tell them they also can become part of my family. Part of my family. We need to teach these new people about Christ, who he is, and what he has done. So the first thing is we're to be involved in this process of choosing. As we're going, we choose to make disciples. We're involved in persuasion, okay, and we're involved in proclamation. In persuasion and in proclamation. And that's the faith walk that comes in. Then secondly, the scripture tells us, not only are we to make disciples, and that's the going process, go, make disciples, normal life issue, share with people that are with you in the barracks, share with people that are with you in the work, share with people that are with you wherever you're at. Then, once those people respond to the word of God, you are to baptize them and teach them all that I have commanded you. You don't have to teach them things that God hasn't taught you. You just teach them things that he's taught you. Baptize and teach. Sometimes we've gotten the idea that well, you've got to take them up here and Pastor Lee's going to baptize them and that'll take care of everything. And they'll be on their way from that point on. I had uh, Clint came up to me just the other day. He said, he said, Pastor, could I baptize my kids when they get older? And my response to him was what, Clint? He said, you betcha. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. You better believe it. Yeah, what an exciting time. What a wondrous opportunity to declare to your kids your love for Jesus and your desire to teach them what he has taught you. It is so exciting to have parents baptize their kids. I got to baptize my kids. And what an exciting, wondrous time it was for to be with them as they made their declaration of who Jesus was. And I baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that's a directive here. This manifestation of God who is not a man, he's far, far more than that. He's three in one. So incredible that I can't even comprehend how it all comes together. And that's the direction of who God is. That Jesus shows us God in a human form. That the Holy Spirit can reside in all billion of us who have responded to him as Christ's followers. That the Father is busy watching over and directing everybody and everything that exists, not just on this earth, but throughout all the universes that he has created. And now we're beginning to see them all and we're like, oh my, God's a lot bigger than I thought he was. Wow. 
What a marvelous, marvelous thing. And so we find that we're called to be involved in this process of baptizing in the name of God. Baptizing in His name. That this baptismal process is a declaration of our commitment to Christ. Peter calls it that it's through baptism that we are able to respond to who God is. In 1 Peter 3.21 he says, and that's a little verse you got in this. It says, and that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you, not the removing of dirt from your body. Well, hopefully you took a shower before you got baptized. But, you know, but as a response to God... From a clear conscience, a recognition of what has happened in your life. Baptism is a public declaration of a private decision. That when I gave my life to Jesus and asked him to come in cleansing from sin, that now he says, okay, Lee, now make that public. And that was the next step that we were to fall through with. We publicly declare our commitment to him and our desire to follow him. And Peter says that declaration is like the declaration that Noah made when he built the boat and got in the boat before the rains came. And as the rains came down, there was a huge flood that took place. The boat raised above it, and the water literally saved them. Isn't that an amazing thing? You've got to think through that a bit. But it was the water that saved them and raised the boat up to a place where they were able to stay in that position until the water receded. And Peter says it's a picture. It's a symbol for us of being in Christ, that we are in this ark that God has provided for us, that all who get in have the opportunity and ability to have life forever. But you still live in this world. And in our case, we're able to kind of be lifeguards in the midst of it and bring others in at the same point in time. So that's the declaration we make when we come to know Christ. We say, I make him Lord of my life. I always raise my hand up like this. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I remember John's son going, because he was baptizing him, and he said, why do you put your hand up there for? He said, I don't know. So I gave him a high five. And he did one of those things. I thought, yes. I said, makes sense to me. Don't know what that whole thing was. I I picked it up in some ecumenical thing. Name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It looks good. It's just part of the thing. Like a tie with a suit. It just looks better, I think. Yeah. So we see this through picture of baptism. We're baptized through baptism. We are identified as God's children. And we place on the clothing of baptism. And then Romans goes on and Paul says it's also a picture of, of baptism as if we had died with Christ and been buried with him and then raised to newness of life. So the picture is that of a grave in which we are buried down and then brought back up. And that if your dad, okay, who brought you into this world, decides to keep you down there when he baptizes you, that should be his prerogative. It would be interesting. <laughs> but of course, you're always raised up to newness of life and you breathe in and go, Phew, made it again, made it again. And that's what baptism is, this wonderful declaration of life and unity that all of us are united by baptism. We were all baptized into his life, into his death both burial and resurrection. And that's a picture of baptism. Then he says, then you need to teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. So with one voice, we choose to what? Teach. It's right there in front of you. Come on, guys. Teach. He threw it up on you. Teach. With one voice, we teach. Jesus said, why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I'll show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. 
And then goes on the story of the house built on the what? Rock. And then the other house built on the sand. And he says, you can either build your house on truth, the rock that I'm going to provide for you, or you can build your house on sand, the false idea that you want to believe in, that you want to be true. And the result will be when the storm comes, you will either stand firm because you built it on the rock, or you will flounder and you'll go down because you built it on the sand, which is the reason nobody bought any property over on Lido. And now they regret it until the earthquake comes. Yeah. Boom, it's all going down, baby. Are you getting a picture? Don't build your house on the sand. Find some good rock. Get up there, baby. So when the earthquake hits, you'll be okay. Oh, don't be, be careful with that statement, okay? Gonna... You know, some of us have this false idea of what's going on. Why do you tell me, Lord, Lord, this idea that we, we do truth according to my own ideas? I, I shared this a while back, but it, it's this, I, I get my own God ideas of what I want God to be. Here's some of the false ideas. Catch that? False ideas. Physical protection. God won't let anything happen to me or my family physically because, after all, I'm his guy. That's the first thing. We think that. If you think that, you're not following the truth of what God has said in his word. That is not what he told you. He did not tell you that. He did not teach you that. That's a false idea. That is your own truth. It is not God's truth. How about my finances? Why well, recognize that God is going to make sure that I prosper and I'm going to make lots of money? Why? Because I give 10%. And because of that, God has said, you will be taken care of. You are a fountain through which I can flow my funds, Lee. You are wonderful. You are glorious. Let it be. Let it be. False truth. The idea that because I give, God is obligated to take care of my finances is not what the Bible teaches. Pray for my kids. I say, Lord, you know, I'm a pastor, so you've got to listen to me. And I pray. I went to both kids in basketball. And I would say, Lord, I don't care about the other guy, but my son needs to make this shot. My son should be the superstar. My son, you get the picture? And we fall into this false picture of what's going on. My kids should get A's. My kids should do this. My kid. And I start beginning to say, you know, Lord, you need to get involved in this stuff. And I begin to build false pictures of who God is and of how he can work in my life. And, and I'm not really concerned about my sins because what's the big deal anyway? They're not that big of a deal, Lord. God said, that's what I'm, I'm concerned about. And I come with all these off-the-wall ideas worldviews that are not from God. They're from myself. They're not true. They're not truth. They're not built on the rock. They're sand. And as Christians, we've fallen into these false ideas instead of following the truth of what God has said. But I turned to God and I said, you know, God, this is my worldview. Don't mess it up. Don't show me a bunch of truth. Because the truth is, I don't want to believe what's true. I want God to be whatever I want him to be. I don't want Jesus to tell me what my problem is. But as I distorted my mind and my lifestyle, there's a corresponding consequence in relationship to me being a disciple. And every time we're wrong and refuse to believe the truth, I lose a certain amount of trust 
in God and a certain amount of intimacy with God and I begin to fail in becoming the disciple that God called me to be. You see, God's your father and he won't lie to you even if it hurts. I had a super blessing in my life recently. My son was doing a set of papers and he was in a class and the class was talking about the rationality aspect of truth and lies. And so he was to write a paper in relationship to what is truth and what is lies. And um, in the midst of that, he, he wrote a paper. And he said, I believe, he said, that we're also always supposed to speak the truth. And he said, the reason I believe that is because my dad has always spoken the truth to me. He's never lied. I thought, oh, yes, I have, you know. He says, my dad doesn't lie. And so he's in the midst of all the, all the people. And they say, well, lo- sometimes you need to lie. And he said, you do not. And they said, well, he lied to you about Santa Claus. He said, no, he didn't. He didn't? No, he just didn't tell me until it was time. <laughs> I wasn't going to mess him up. I just, one day I came to me and said, Dad, is there really a Santa Claus? And I said, do you really think there's a Santa Claus? See, that's the trick. Do you really think there's anything? He said, no, I don't think so. I said, either do I. He goes, oh. And he said, life is to be lived on truth, not on lies. And that we are to live truthfully. And that's the directive that Jesus gives us. So Jesus said, this is why I was born and came into the world. To tell people the truth. And everyone who belongs to the truth listens to me. See, the struggle is that we come face to face with the truth. We have to either love it or we have to to leave it. And when was the last time you came face to face with truth in one of your relationships? I got it just yesterday with my wife. I went, truth is you need to apologize. I don't want to apologize. I don't want to say I was wrong. I know I was wrong, Lord, but I don't want to say it. Truth I said, I want a second opinion. (laughs) Not my wife's. But the truth is, time to submit. Time to ask forgiveness. Time to apologize. Jesus said this to the people who believed in him. He said, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And then you will know the truth... And that truth will set you free. See, Jesus wasn't talking about uh, confessing to our lies. He's talking about truth in every element of life itself. About death, about forgiveness, about hope, about reality. All these areas in our life where we begin to lose intimacy with God because we fail to accept to honor and to respond to the truth. You see, the closer we get to the light, the better we can see the Father. And the farther away we get from the light, which is truth, the more difficult it is to see Him. Truth is a light to our heart and to our mind. It changes everything. It sets us free to live life. Simple example. A man by the name in 1818 of Ignatius Simmelweis. He was a Hungarian doctor. And in 1819, one out of every six women died of childbirth fever. One out of every six 
died of childbirth fever. Why? Well, interestingly enough, the rounds of the standard doctor went like this. They'd begin the day with an autopsy. And then they would proceed to go and be involved in the process of birthing children. And they would never wash their hands between one to the next. We're going, you've got to be kidding me. Did they not know? No, they did not. So this particular doctor began to look at this issue and he said, I'm going to start washing my hands following autopsy. So he began to wash his hands thoroughly and then he would go in the process of birthing these children. Over 8,357 babies over 11 years, he was involved in this birthing process and he only had one in 10 who caught childbed fever. And he began to believe that, you know something? There's something here. We need to wash our hands after we're involved in any act of autopsies or anything else. And he began to declare this to the other doctors. You know what the other doctors did to him? They laughed. They thought it was funny. That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. That something as simple as that could cause it. That is crazy. That is dumb. That is stupid. And it was years later before doctors at that point in time recognized that they were spreading germs through this process, and that all they had to do was wash their hands. I've had many people talk to me and say, Pastor Lee, I don't understand why I need to be baptized. I don't get it. What's the point? It just doesn't make any sense. I received Jesus in my life. I don't think I need to be baptized. Let me tell you something. Jesus said, Jesus said, we are to make disciples, and we are to baptize them. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And anybody else that has a phone on right now, you better turn it off. <laughs> turn that sucker off. Buzz. The buzz you can hardly hear. The buzz you can hardly hear, all right? You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Do you see this doc discovered a truth? And that truth set thousands of women free to live life, literally. The mission, make disciples by baptizing, teaching to obey all truth that he has provided for us in his name with his truth. We know it is true. And as you embrace the truth, we find ourselves having our sins cleansed from our life, our hearts made pure through his shed blood, and our willingness to allow him to make us clean changes everything. And that's kind of the final thing that he says to us. You know, go into all the world, make disciples, baptize them in the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you until the end of time. And lo, I will be with you always until the end of time. And that's the last clarification he gives us. I will be with you while you are doing this. We're to keep the main thing the main thing. You see, it's all about Jesus. It's not about me or anybody else. It's not about a church. It's not about music. As much as I appreciate my brother is going to come down right now and lead us in some music. It's not about that. It's all about the reality, the truth of who Jesus is, what he has done, and what he can do in our lives today. See, the focus on making disciples of Jesus is as we're going about life 
living life correctly, we are to be making disciples on a constant basis. It's a picture of children being discipled by their parents as God has given them authority and direction. And so they teach them and they admonish them and they guide them. And they do the same thing to the grandchildren. And that's the calling and the directive of Christ. Because we're to let Jesus be who he is. He's the vine. We are the branch. Fruit comes through our lives when we abide in the vine. You don't have to struggle. You don't have to jump up and down. You don't have to get all excited. You just need to allow him to work through you. He is the only superstar. He's the only superstar. Salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name among heaven given to mankind by which we may be saved. This is one of the reasons that it really bothers me when people say, you know, so-and-so's church. This is not my church. This is Jesus' church. Okay? I just happen to be fortunate enough to be one of the pastors. It's a great thing. It's not Rick Warren's church. It's Jesus' church. And when we begin to use that, we're getting ourselves in trouble because we are misunderstanding what God is desiring to do in the lives of people. Because we're simply called to serve. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to become a ransom for many. He says, and you in the same way are called to do the same thing. With one voice, clearly, powerfully, strongly, we declare who Jesus is, what Jesus has done. Whether it be David over here sharing with us clearly what God has done in his life and how he has changed him. So he's changed each one of us as well. And the cry of us is simply, are you willing to be his disciple? See, that's the directive. That's the mission that each one of us have. Are you willing to be his disciple? Yes or no? Time to step up. Do you want to be a disciple of Christ? How many of you want to be a disciple of Christ? Okay. Why don't you all stand? Father, we're here today because we want to be your disciples. A follower. We recognize who you are and what you've done. But sometimes we're afraid. We're intimidated by this world and all that's within it. And we ask that you would remove this fear and grant us the ability to persuade, to proclaim, simply to tell other people who you are and then to tell them the truth of your word with our lives and with our words as well. Allow that privilege to take place in our life. And as we sing this song, Lord, cement it within us, each one of us, that we might clearly, clearly hear your voice and yield to your will. Thank you, Lord. You should do that even now. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Please, be seated. Somebody's going to fill out that prayer request right now. We're going to ask the people to come up, and we're going to, we're going to take an offering. I think that's first, right? So we're going to take an offering here, and you may be filling out that prayer request. I've got to fill this thing out. Lord, help me to be, or I need this, or this is going on, or there's some people. Fill out that request and hand that in. Some of you have some finance you need to give. You set aside money for the Lord. You need to have a chance. You're going to get a chance to give that. Great. That's going to go by really quickly. I want you to think about what is God teaching me today about being a disciple. So as you get this offering, as you're sharing it, let God speak to you. Father, use these funds to build your kingdom. We ask in your son's name.